You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 933 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win? Or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Today's show features a conversation that I had with John Corrales of Locked on Celtics, sort of a crossover of sorts. And right now, obviously, the Hawks are playing the Celtics so often in, the, in this in this week plus three times in about eight, nine days. It was a good time to talk to John about both last night's game on Wednesday as well as Friday's game and the next week's game and an interesting conversation to come there. Um, quickly, by the way, on Friday evening, the Hawks do play the Celtics in Boston. Uh, this, actually, the injury reports are out on both sides, so I'll go ahead and briefly touch on those now. The same four guys are out for the Hawks, Hunter, Bogdanovich, Dunn, and Rondo. Nobody else, though, so a pretty clean injury report, all things considered for the Hawks when compared to recent days. Um, for the Celtics, actually, Jalen Brown is questionable to play. That's a question mark because he's actually, of course, one of their top two players. It'd be a big loss for them. On the flip side, they will have Kemba Walker and Daniel Tice, who both missed the game on Wednesday. They are off the injury report entirely for Boston. And at this moment, as I'm recording this on Thursday, Atlanta's about a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, that will definitely drop if Brown does not play, I would imagine, but right now, they're expecting Kemba and Tice, and it's up to four and a half with Boston no longer on a back-to-back and all that stuff dating back to Wednesday. Um, before we get to John and myself talking about the Hawks and the Celtics, there was some news to hit on on Thursday. The league finally announced the All-Star game is going to be happening. It was obviously an open secret. It was going to be happening for quite some time, but even at this late date, it wasn't official until today. It will be Sunday, March 7th at State Farm Arena in Atlanta with the three-point competition and the skills competition before tip-off of the game and then the dunk contest. At halftime, same format as last year, including the Elam ending. And uh, to their credit, the NBA and the Player Association announced that they'll be committing more than $2.5 million in funds and resources towards HBCUs and support and awareness around equity and access to the COVID-19 care, relief, and vaccines. That's a good thing that they are doing around the game. Um, the starters, by the way, are also announced. Trey Young did not... Uh, get voted as a starter this time around after doing so last year. He finished sixth among East guards behind Beal, Irving, Harden, Levine, and Jalen Brown. He was sixth in fan voting, sixth in media voting, and actually kind of a stunning 11th in player voting. I'm not really sure what happened there. He's obviously uh, not 11th best among East guards. He should be much higher than that. Uh, once the return started coming in, it was clear that Trey was not going to be a starter in terms of the fan voting, and he was not, he's not going to be able to necessarily win the media and the player voting by enough to start, so no surprise there. I think he will be voted on by the coaches. We'll find out that next week on the 23rd when they announce that, so that's uh, that's the only part that uh, sort of retained to the Hawks on that all-star voting slash announcement on Thursday. Also, both John Collins and Clint Capella were not in the top 10 among front court guys. They will have a chance, I will say, um, uh, to be selected by the coaches, but I would not bet on either one of them actually making it at this point in time. And lastly, the All-Star game is happening in Atlanta. I guess I have to weigh in on it a little bit. I don't love that fact that it's happening, honestly, uh, but they are essentially trying to create a bubble around it, according to the announcement that they made on Thursday. And uh, obviously the donations of money to a good cause is a nice piece of this, but we will touch on that if we, if we need to, but it's not really a Hawks event. I know it's happening in Atlanta, so uh, I'll probably leave that alone for the most part, but when, when the uh, results come out, I will talk about that in a few days. Um, one quick stat that I want to hit on quickly before we get again to the rest of the podcast. I came across this actually on Thursday from John Schumann of NBA.com and shouts to a uh, reader slash listener that pointed me out to this. Um, it surprised me, and I'm sure it will surprise you as well. Um, 
Schumann did a full write-up on double-digit leads um, across the NBA and the variance that's been happening in those this year. And, of course, obviously everyone, including me, has focused on the Hawks blowing a bunch of late leads, and that's been a theme this season that Atlanta's been un- unable to close in the clutch, and it's definitely felt that way throughout the year. They're actually far better, though, in this particular stat than I realized they would be. They're actually tied for 15th in the NBA, so right in the middle of the pack. A winning percentage when they lead by 10 points or more at any time during the game. They're actually 11 and 4 in games in which they lead by 10. And obviously, if you're up by 10, you should win more often than not, a lot more often than not. But they're right in the middle of the pack of the league. And you might think that they were near the bottom given all the leads they've lost, but I guess this is a sort of an interesting recall thing. Maybe it isn't quite as bad as we thought to coming in. They're actually quite bad when they trail by 10 points or more. Which is interesting. The Hawks are third worst in the league when they trail by 10 points or more. So they've not had any, uh, I guess they had the one big comeback there. 1 and 11 when they trail by 10 or more this season. Only ahead of Cleveland, who's the worst team in the league overall. And by the way, Milwaukee is the other team. They have not won a single game when they trail by 10 or more this year, which is kind of crazy. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Maybe the Hawks' struggles to close games are not quite as pronounced. They kind of got clustered up in that one time period. And uh, again, I was pretty surprised by that. So I'm not saying the Hawks are good at that because they're not, but they're uh, more more close to the middle of the pack when it comes to holding double-digit leads than I would have expected. And the last news item on the podcast um, is that Sam Massini of The Athletic, good friend of the podcast, he's been on the show before multiple times, did a ranking of all the young players, uh, I guess the young cores in the NBA, and the Hawks are number two overall on that list, which is pretty lofty, obviously. There's going to be an individual ranking coming out from Sam in the future. That's not out yet as I record this. But he did say in the write-up of the team portion that the Hawks are the only team in the league that has six of his top 50 prospects on the list. Obviously, Trey is sort of in his own tier, um, but he has DeAndre Hunter actually in front of John Collins, which I thought was noteworthy. I'm sure that was a change for this year, considering uh, DeAndre's breakout that was happening, but it's, it's young. Then Herder, sorry, Young, then Hunter, then Collins, Akongwu, Reddish, and Herder in that order. I know Hawks fans will be surprised by seeing Akongwu at number four on that list, but I will say the general thought around the league is that it's still pretty early on him, and, and the league's still pretty high on Akongwu. It's too early to really concern, be that concerned about it. Um, I'm not sure I'd have him ahead of Reddish, for instance, but I, I sort of get that on some level, and I think if Reddish hasn't struggled this season so far, he probably would have been ahead of him, but I don't really care about the order. And in fact, if you, if you read the uh, piece from Sam, he makes sure to mention that basically, you know, two through six, and I, I would I would guess especially four through six, are very close together. So no real reason to pick that apart necessarily. Also, there were some nice words about Skylar Mays in there from Sam. I would argue that based on the criteria that Vassini is using, I would have had the Hawks one, which I'm sure sounds a little bit homerish, but if you look at the list. It's about rookie scale contracts, and the team that's number one is Dallas, and I know Hawks fans do not like Dallas right now, and I, I totally get that, but honestly, that's based almost entirely on Luka, which I guess is understandable, he's really good, but uh, the Mavs have some guys that I kind of like, like Tyrell Terry, Josh Green, Jalen Brunson, but the Hawks have six guys that would have been better than anybody Dallas has, I would think, at least for me. If, it, if you're building a list between the Mavs and the Hawks about prospects, even if you had Luka one. The next six guys, I think, are pretty clearly Hawks, which is interesting, and I think that probably leads toward Atlanta in my, in my book. But regardless, the overall point of this was to say that the Hawks are still grading out very well in prospect lists and future-facing lists, and if you look at the young core, it's still pretty solid, and this is a good reminder of that when you look across the league, that few, if any, teams have the, what kind of uh, talent the Hawks do have on that rookie scale contract, still under contract, and all that stuff. So, a positive point there. And, before we get to John, there's a new segment on this podcast 
and it's the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. It will not always be Trey Young, I promise you that. But this time around, I think it has to be after the way he played on Wednesday in the win over Boston on the road. Young was basically unguardable, as I said yesterday on the podcast. I went on and on about him, and I think he earned that one on his way. 25 points in the second half. He had 40 overall, 16 in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was unguardable, honestly. And Hawks fans certainly enjoyed watching that performance, I am sure. And so did I, because Trey's a lot of fun, especially when he has it going like that. Uh, he was enjoying himself, as was the rest of the team on the way to a win. And I will say, are you happy because you win? Or do you win because you're happy? And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success and enjoyment is not the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Trey Young. All right, and without further delay, here is my discussion with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. So, Brad, you know, it's good. This is the first time we've gotten to talk, I think. Have we done a podcast together? I don't think we have. If we have, it was a long time it was ago. A long so, time. No, I don't think yeah. we've we've talked, and it's it's funny because we followed each other on Twitter uh, for a long time. So, uh, Celtics and the Hawks do it again on Friday after uh, oh, just another from from the Celtics perspective. I just sat there and I was like, they they could not get a single stop in this game. Um, I did listen to your lockdown Hawks on my way home from the Garden. Um, I'm sure from your perspective, it was nice to, to finally uh, come away with a win. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was it was mostly an offensive win for the Hawks. Like, there were not a lot of stops to be had on either side in the game, quite frankly. Yeah. So it was, no, it was no. one, of those, one of those nights where, uh, especially the first quarter, I mentioned it was a layup line because it really felt like it, especially the first like seven, eight minutes. There was just a lot of layups and a lot of easy stuff around the rim. And yeah, it felt good. I'm sure, uh, you know, Hawks observers were definitely happier last night than they had been previously, but it was a bit of a weird game in a lot of ways. And Trey Young was just the best player on the court. And when they, when he's, when he's that good, it's hard to beat the Hawks sometimes. So one of the things that you brought up, one of the things that Brad Stevens was asked, why didn't the Celtics trap Trey Young? So w- one of the things that I hit on in locked on Celtics yesterday was, I don't think it would have mattered because their defense was so piss poor that they <laughs> could have trapped Trey Young. They could have tried. They either would have screwed up the trap and he would have driven right through it, split it. Or he would have just got, gotten rid of the ball and it would have resulted in uh, you know, Collins or Capella just doing chin-ups on the rim and just you know, finishing off dunks. Like, I, I don't think like the, maybe they could have kept Trey Young from scoring 24, but Collins would have had 28, Capella would have had 30, you know, Herter would have had like 13 because he would have hit two more threes. I, I just think that for me, from my perspective, that they probably were damned no matter what. And the other thing I want to throw at you is maybe they didn't want to trap in this game and they were going to hope that he could cool off so they can trap him a bunch in the second game, throw a new look at him, and and maybe try to confuse him or, or just throw him off a little bit. Yeah, there's maybe some long game strategy when you're playing the same team three times in, what, eight days, something like something like that. Right. Um, and I think it's that makes sense what you said. It's just, um, and I, you're not expected to watch every Hawks game, but basically, the Hawks have had a lot of trouble when teams have figured out a way to get the ball out of Trey's hands this year. And I, I know that it might have felt as if it wouldn't have mattered last night, and that might be true, honestly, because of the way that Boston, you know, didn't have their personnel, did not play particularly well defensively. I just would have tried it at some point, but maybe he was holding it back for later because one, for me, once Trey Young is going like that. Um, He's not going to stop going like that. Probably is my whole thing. And if the ball's in, if the ball's in his hands, um, the Hawks are just doing what they're best at doing 
offensively and especially in that fourth quarter where it was probably it, was, it wasn't over but the Hawks were in control of that game for sure and I, and I get maybe not want to change your style at that point in time when you're already playing from behind but it did, it did it felt to me as if they needed to at least throw something different at Trey Young and not just at Trey Young but at, at the rest of the Hawks because if there's a weakness of this Hawks team so far this year especially with DeAndre Hunter out of the lineup is that they have not been able to really beat those really aggressive traps and schemes that uh, get the ball out of Trey's hands. They don't, have, they don't have a ton of secondary creation. So maybe we'll see that on Friday, to your point. Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect that to happen uh, maybe a little bit more often. Now, we don't know if Jalen Brown's going to play. He's questionable. He's had a sore left knee. I'd rather him just sit at this point. Uh, these guys have played a ton, and I know that they don't look – they look a little gassed, but Kemba's going to be back, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see that kemba Trey Young matchup. Um, kemba, a little bit better on the ball than – Generally speaking, I think people assume, but regardless, uh, I, I do think I do think the Celtics will try something a little different in this game. Just just to say, hey, look, we threw some zone at you, which, by the way, disaster. Not nothing worked for the Celtics defensively. So uh, just assume everything that I say were, becomes disaster. I mean, they, they did try zone. Um, they did they did try to pressure in the backcourt a little bit. The Celtics are just terrible at just pressuring the ball in general. They don't have the perimeter defense. So uh, I I will say that I would expect Atlanta, like some of the things you just said, that they've not been good at those things. I would expect them to be better at those things against the Celtics right now because it's so bad that they'll have better opportunities to make those secondary passes and recognize things. Yeah, I can see that. Especially, like you said, if Brown doesn't play, it becomes a whole different ball game. I know you know that, but he's he's so good at so many things that um, just taking him off the court, putting anybody else on the court is uh, obviously a big advantage for the Hawks and a big disadvantage for the Celtics. Um, but they're going to have to try something else, so we'll see what they do. Hopefully you guys play a lot more Danilo Gallinari. That would be... Listen, it's been it's been hard because I've not that I love I didn't love that contract when it happened and I said so, but he looks so much worse physically than I thought he was going to look. And even then, I had low expectations anyway. He can't move. It's it's quite jarring, honestly. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's so funny how much different he looks. But um, so from from the Atlanta perspective, you I mean this is your first, you know, well not no, it's a second chance to see to see Boston. I know from the inside of the the Boston side, like everybody in Boston is, is somewhere either pushing the panic button, hovering around the panic button, looking to see where the panic mu- button may be for possible future use. There's some somewhere in that range of people aren't sure if this team's ever going to get any good. Just from your perspective, from what you saw from Boston – what what were your impressions of the Celtics? It's it's tough because they didn't have what they need to have. Like I was actually going to ask you, I was planning to ask you about the whole Kemba thing because when I when I tweeted out that Kemba wasn't playing, I got a lot of people saying, "Well, that's good for the Hawks." And I'm th- I mean, it's, sorry, good for the Celtics. So I'm thinking that seems weird to me. Uh, not that I I know that Kemba struggled this year. Don't get me wrong, but knowing who was behind Kemba, <laughs> I couldn't believe. Right. Uh, my brain would not allow me to think that they were better off without Kemba. I know he's been limited, but um, I don't know. It was it was a night where since I, I do cover the rest of the NBA, it was a night where Jalen Brown wasn't wasn't very good by Jalen Brown standards, and that made things easier for Atlanta as well. But my impressions were, you know, 
of a team that is not playing very well right now. And you just got into that too. I knew that coming in. I watched a little bit of Boston on purpose before that game started and they're not executing very well. And they're not necessarily the best roster right now. I think you know that, but without Smart and without Kemba and without Tice the other night, and then with a pretty limited Jalen Brown, who wasn't his best, the rest of that roster is not particularly awesome, except for Tatum, of course. <laughs> so it wasn't like a situation where the Hawks were at a big disadvantage. And that's it's weird right now because the Hawks are battling so many injuries that I'm used to them kind of being at some pretty big mismatch problems. And this and this, coming into this game, it was basically, okay, handle Tatum and the rest of it, Tatum, sorry, Tatum and Brown, and the rest of it is kind of like, all right, if they can just manage those guys, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And see, I'm glad, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, from, from the outside uh, of Boston, you just, it, it's, it's good to hear somebody say like, look, we we're not sure, wasn't sure what to expect because what I'm trying to do is, is just trying to preach a little bit of patience because we don't know, like you said, without all of these guys, we, we really don't know who these Celtics are going to be. And that's the biggest challenge for the Celtics. As far as Kemba and why people would say, well, that's better for Boston that he's out. Um, part of that is because Kemba has been struggling uh, coming back from that knee soreness. They're holding him out from back-to-backs. They're saying, like Danny Ainge was on the radio on Thursday saying that Kemba could play a back-to-back if you know like it's not like he is unable to physically he could but they're being cautious and they're trying to limit the 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 type of um you know stress that they put on that left knee because sorry February game against Atlanta is not really the priority the priority is the you know June July whatever month the playoffs are going to start first round matchup against, I don't know, Indiana, like that's, that's the priority. So they're going to be super cautious. Like Daniel Tice probably could have played if it was a playoff game like that, that uh, cliche, but in Kemba's limited time back, he struggled to, he struggled with his shot. He certainly struggled around the rim. Uh, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the usual bag of tricks just yet. And I don't know if that's just you know, that, that health meter, that video game health meter still hasn't filled all the way up for, you know, from when he got back to, um, you know, he's not his old self, but there, there, there are some questions around here about how close to old Kemba he's, he's going to be. Is he ever going to get to hundred percent? Is he going to be 90%? Is he going to be 80%? Is he, so if he's not finishing around the rim, that takes, you know, a lot out of what Kemba can do. Uh, if he's not getting to the free throw line, that really minimizes how good Kemba can be. So one of the big questions for Boston moving forward is, is a, you know, in addition to all of that is how does Kemba kind of fit in now with Tatum and Brown, especially with Brown's ascent. We didn't see it against you guys, but Brown's playing so well, he's going to be an all-star that, you wonder if you just kind of put Kemba in that, you know, third option spot and have him try to figure out how he adjusts from there. Yeah, honestly, that makes sense to me. And I do have a little bit more on that and our uh, old friend Jeff Teague. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing. But there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. 
BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at RockAuto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counterperson that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and do-yourselfers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So yeah, back to Kemba. It's not like it's inconceivable to me that Kemba is not playing well because he's not. He, from what I've seen anyway, he's not been particularly impressive this year and the numbers aren't great. But it's also, I know how bad Jeff, Jeff Teague has been. Old, old friend Jeff Teague, I know how bad he's been. So, uh, And he wasn't going to play, it felt like. And then he got in. Was it? I think I think Cole in the second half, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. on Wednesday. I was I was surprised to see him. I was like, I, I kind of written it off. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's, there's my old friend Jeff Teague coming in the game cold in the second half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's been a disaster. And yeah, it's not good. It's it's you know it's a one year veteran minimum con- contract, and you know if the Celtics are are lucky, they you know can use his his salary to kind of like match a you know in, in a salary matching t- type of situation for a trade. But uh, that that at this point, that's all he's he's here for. He's only on this roster still in case the Celtics need to throw a couple million bucks into a deal that matches salaries and not. As opposed to not. Yeah, there have been plenty of Rondo versus Jeff Teague jokes in my mentions the last couple of weeks. Because <laughs> Rondo's been very bad as well, and they're making similar money. And Jeff is, of course, on the team for the Hawks last year. So a battle of obviously Rondo, Rondo was injured and is still injured for one uh, for Friday, but it would have been a battle of uh, controversially bad veteran point guards. So but isn't it, how can how do people not see the Rondo thing coming? I I, I saw it coming. Uh, I don't know. I listen. My my. First red flag was just knowing what he's been in the regular season in the last couple of years my, my, and not loving it already. And then as soon as they signed him, you'll appreciate this as someone who studies this stuff closely. I would say 95% of the discussion about Rondo from the team, from players, coaches, was all about locker room and leadership. And that's usually a dead giveaway that, that a guy can't play. <laughs> right. Uh, and we knew that going in. But even when they signed him, it was like the, the immediate spin was like, well, you know, culture, locker room and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, well, that probably means they know that he can't play. But they also gave him a two-year deal to where he has to play. So it's this weird situation right now. And right now he's hurt. So I'm not trying to pile on. But he has not been uh, effective. Right. But 
So, so from the Hawks' perspective, though, so it feels like there's there's been this this move from Atlanta to to try to bring in these vets. Like we we knew, like you guys got that that high draft pick. You got Anyeka Okongwu. Um, that's a guy that I know a lot of Celtics fans were were kind of lusting over for a while. Um, by the way, as a side note, he he was hurt, right? And then. What what's the deal with the Kongu? Just yeah, it's a little bit weird right now. He was hurt when they drafted him. They knew it. It was a toe foot issue. What's supposed to be a long term thing? So he got a he got a late start. He missed all of training camp. Basically, was still injured, uh, and then had a little bit of a setback. Came back and basically hadn't played and hadn't practiced. And they're in the middle of this weird situation. And yeah, um, they they thrown him out there several times. And then he also had another injury for a few games. So he's never really gotten his feet under him at any point. He looks like a rookie who has not had a summer in a training camp. And he was obviously a one and done. So he's right now healthy, uh, healthy-ish anyway. Um, but it's one of those things where they they kind of have admitted, have admitted on the record even that he, they don't really know what to do with him right now because they want, they want to play him, but he's not ready. And like he's it's clearly not ready to play necessarily. But there's nobody to play ahead of him either. So they threw out Bruno Fernando for like three minutes on Wednesday. It's been one of those two guys for like four minutes a night the last yeah. couple of weeks just to have one stint. But other than that, they just go with Gallinari, Collins, and Capella and try to win that way. Right. So so I, I think that's a good thing to bring up just in, in reference to Aaron Neesmith. Like Anyeka Okongu was like the sure thing. He's He was one of the sure things. Not Maybe not a, a star superstar, but everybody thought – this guy's going to come into the league. He's going to have a place, so on and so forth. But because of injuries and all of that stuff, not really panning out for him yet. So if it couldn't pan out for a Kongu just yet, this far into the season, it's only a short amount of time, Celtics fans need to chill out a lot on Aaron Neesmith, who's looked a lot better recently. So I just kind of wanted to shoehorn that little point in there. Uh, but R- rookies are bad, man. That's the thing. Like Kongu, I thought was going to be one of the guys who was ready to play-ish because he was such a you know low usage, big guy. But Rookies in general are not very good. I know Pritchard's been good, but he's an older guy. Uh, Scour yeah. Mays has been that guy for the Hawks, uh, 23-year-old rookie. But my general rule when I say this all the time is that rookies are bad. There are a few, <laughs> there are some exceptions to that, but most of them are bad. That's that's generally true. So I'm um, glad to get that on the record here on the podcast. But now back to my my other point is that the you know I remember listening to Lloyd Pierce on a couple of podcasts and, and, and basically admitting – we don't want more young players. We're already young enough. We need vets. And maybe that drove the Gallinari thing. And, and maybe that, that I think certainly drove the Rondo signing. We need older guys to show these younger guys how to win. Cause we've got a ton of talent, but it's immature. And if it's not molded the right way, it can really go down a, a path of immaturity where bad habits or bad kind of attitudes are, are fostered. And if we don't get the steady minded vet in here, somehow someone with that championship experience, then we risk this whole thing. All of these young guys with talent, I I look at this roster, young herder Collins reddish. There's a lot of talent on this roster. It just needs to be guided in the right way. So now I say all of that to say, I understand the, the theoretical Rondo, but we we all knew that reality Rondo was not going to play well, at least in the regular season. But John Collins is in trade rumors now. Yes. 
How real is that from Atlanta's perspective? And if it is somewhat real here, what are they really looking for in return? Uh, I think the short, the short answer that I'll give you the long answer. The short answer is I think he's available, but not really, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he's available in that they know that he might get a max offer this offseason. And I think the Hawks are not overjoyed to pay him the max. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that they won't do it at the end of the day to retain the asset, but I think that they going into the season, at least we're not terribly excited about paying him the max. And that's what Collins side wanted. I think if the Hawks had offered him more than they offered him, he might've signed the extension. Uh, they offered him reportedly about 90 to 95 million, somewhere in there over four years. And Collins reportedly turned that tr- reportedly turned that down. Mm-hmm. I think if they had gone over a hundred, he probably would have signed it. That's my guess. Anyway, that's not me reporting that just my guess. But as far as the trade rumors are concerned, they're in this very weird spot. Sam Andick, uh, talked about it as well in his initial reporting on the trade rumors, but the Hawks are trying to win right now. They did everything possible this summer to declare both verbally and with their moves that they were trying to win this year, trying to make the playoffs this year. That is their stated goal. So it's very hard for a team to do all of that, spend all this money um, into the future too, not just one-year money, like two, three-year money, tying up their cap for a couple of years, and then turn around and trade John Collins to make your team worse in season. And most of the move, most of the trade rumors or trade thoughts people have had, and honestly, they're logical, are because Collins is a late draft pick. He's not making a ton of money. A lot of those moves, a lot of those moves are like rebuild moves. They're like trade him, trade him for a pick or two, or trade him for a young guy and a pick. And those moves make the Hawks worse. Now they still might do that, but that doesn't really jive with where they're heading right now in terms of their organizational focus. So it's this weird spot where I think they would probably take an offer if they got blown out of the water. But like a market value trade offer for Collins, I don't think gets it done right now. So that's that's the long answer is that I think they probably want to wouldn't mind trading him like in the vacuum of vacuums. But practically what you would actually be able to get doesn't make a lot of sense for where they are. Right. And that's and, and I that's the answer that I was hoping for, because I don't think I don't think that makes sense for the for the Hawks to, first of all, trading Collins is extraordinarily difficult because he makes $4.1 million and the talent vastly outperforms the contract. So the type of people you want in return are, you're either going to have to get another guy that's in the third year of his um, rookie contract like this. And maybe it's just, a swap of young talent, which doesn't make, make much sense. It's, it's hard to do. <laughs> right. It's hard. To, it's, that's, that's, I don't know how that's, if that's ever happened really. So to get what you want for Collins, the other team, you, you know, maybe the other team would take Gallinari. Maybe, maybe that's a salary dump already, but yeah. that's, it's a, it's a two year. I mean, he's not guaranteed on the final year. So you're paying him next year. And then you can turn around, you can say, hey, the other team, you're getting an expiring contract. You, you bench him for the rest of this year, or maybe you play him situationally. He's a $20.5 million expiring contract next year. You're getting John Collins. Shut up and just accept it. Um, <laughs> but the return for Collins is always going to be the, the, the sticking point for me because I think you would want a veteran, a good veteran player that can come in and lead this team. Now, I'm, 
I'm going to say a Jimmy Butler type, not Jimmy sure. Butler, but yeah, you yeah. know, the Jimmy Butler, not a superstar, but leader, clearly, you know, comes in, takes the reins type of guy. Well, the other way to trade Collins that I've mentioned, and this is another super hard thing to do, my two paths for trading Collins that I get always asked about, so I had the stock answer. One of them is that rebuilding type trade where you trade for picks or whatever, and you get fair value maybe, but not necessarily jives with your roster. The other one is to use Collins as like a centerpiece of a trade for a star. But who's that guy? Like that guy right. isn't available right now. The only guy who's like kind of available, maybe that's a star that everyone talks about is Bradley Beal, who's not really a fit in Atlanta necessarily. And he's not necessarily available yet. So right. those two paths are really hard. Like I, everybody always asks me like, where does Collins get traded to if that happens? And I'm thinking, I don't know. And that's why part of the part of that's Intel part of that's just common sense. But I think it's very unlikely he gets traded. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It's not, I'm not saying it's a 0% chance. But I think he's not going to get traded. If, right. if I had to guess, that's my stock answer. Like, it will surprise me if he is traded. It won't. I won't. I won't fall over and die. But I will be surprised. So I wanted to talk about that because I know Celtics fans listening. And Celtics fans will bring it up in my mentions too. Don't worry, they're they're they're, they're yeah. popping up. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's it's possible for for Boston to do this. I mean, I suppose anything's possible in a three team trade or a multi team trade. But it just the more the more you do that, the more complicated it gets. And I just it felt like a we really don't want to pay this guy the max, but you know, and, and like you said, blow us away with an offer, and okay, well we're we'll listen. And but yeah, listening and shopping are not, are not the same thing. It's right. something I always point out too. Like they might have the phone on. They might have the phone on. They're not calling and chopping around in the league right now. Right. At least in my understanding. Right. You're not so, calling the Timberwolves and saying, hey, what do you got? You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I mean, and teams like teams like Boston, obviously you cover them. They have all these young guys who are like kind of intriguing, and maybe you go in future picks, but that isn't the kind of move that I think makes any sense for the Hawks right now. Even if they were in love with Romeo Langford or pick, pick, pick whichever one of those young guys that you want to, it just doesn't make sense. Like for where for where the Hawks actually are right now to figure right. out a deal like that. Right. Right. And so it feels like, yeah. So it feels like Collins is staying in Atlanta. Sorry, Celtics fans. That's not <laughs> that's not a realistic target for um, for Boston. So, all right. Well, look, Celtics Hawks do it again on Friday. Uh, it'll be interesting to see again. Jalen Brown up in the air. Um, Tice is coming back. He's not on the injury report. Kemba's coming back. He was just off on the back to back. So it'll be a, a different game. And because Kemba and Tice had like a couple of days off, they're going to actually be a little bit fresh. So that, that actually helps the Celtics too, to get a couple of guys out there that, that have been off their feet a little bit. Uh, any, any new injury news for Atlanta? No, same four guys are out. Tony Snell who played on Wednesday is off the injury report. So it's, it's standard four guys that have been missing time so far. And I think Boston's a bigger favorite in Vegas right now than they were on Wednesday for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. That'll, that'll drop if Jalen, Jalen sits, that's obviously going to drop, but as long as he plays, then Boston is in a better position on paper than they were, obviously. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, nice for uh, nice, nice joining and, and talking to you a little bit here. Uh, Brad, this, we're, we're getting to see a lot of each other's teams. Over the next week, is it three games in what seven days or something like that? Yeah, it was a it was a great time for us to do this uh, because it's one of those quirks this year where it's like, all right, Hawks Celtics, and then Hawks Celtics, and then a break, and then Hawks Celtics again. So it's almost like yeah, a playoff of, series. 
lots of action. Uh, and yeah, this, this, this will be fun. I think Wednesday was uh, obviously one that went well for the Hawks and Friday will be interesting on a number of levels. All right, that'll do it for today's podcast. Please subscribe to the show. Please tell a friend, rate, review, all of that fun stuff. And we will see you after the game on Friday evening.